Um, open up your Bibles, you guys, to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. We're going to continue our uh, As Told by a Scoundrel series through the book of through the book of Matthew, looking at Jesus' encounters with various people in, 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 in this gospel, in this gospel account. Um, we have been in the theme of Jesus' authority over the curse. Chapters 5 through 7 of Matthew were the Sermon on the Mount. And this, is, this was Jesus talking about the kingdom, talking about the character of the kingdom, talking about what you and I should exude if we're followers of Jesus. But lest Jesus be called just a good teacher, he came down from that mountain and he started doing these miracles. He started showing and demonstrating his authority, the, key, the authority of the kingdom of God over the curse of this world. He, he started showing his authority over sickness and disease and demonic oppression and fear. He started to show his, his uh, authority to forgive sins. That was last week. Um, and, and so this is the last week that we're going to focus on this theme before we move on to something else. Another theme starting next week. I mean, we're certainly going to return to Jesus' miracles, but this is the last week on this theme before we move on to something else. Um, I, I want to ask a few questions. Can you raise your hand? We're, we talk about being an authentic church, so, so let's, let's give this a, a try. Raise your hand if you deal with any chronic ailments, whether that be diabetes, fibromyalgia, chronic fatigue, Epstein-Barr, uh, MS, something uh, that has been chronic, you've been dealing with for a while. Okay, okay, okay. Keep your hands up. Let's look around. Look how many people that is. Okay, okay, okay. IBS, right? Um, all kinds of things. Okay, you can put your hands down. Okay, now another group. Raise your hand. I, this is probably going to be a, a slightly less people, but I think there's a few. Raise your hand if you have recently had a, a somewhat serious diagnosis. You were told an artery was clogged. You were told uh, you had cancer. Put your hand up. Anybody else? Okay, okay, okay. A couple, a few, handful, five, six. Okay, okay. You can put your hand down. You can put your hand down. Okay, one more. One more group. And, and there, there might be some overlap. So if you already raised your hand, you might fall into this last group. Raise your hand if you are dealing with a situation that after so many efforts to resolve it, to fix it, to find a solution to it, it seems a little bit hopeless. It could be some of the physical ailments you just raised your hand for. It, it could be an addiction that you've been battling. It could be uh, a relational issue. There could be a, a conflict that you've been in. You can, you can put your hand up. You can put your hand up. I, I would say nice and proud, but that's not what I mean. But just, just um, no, no shame is what I'm trying to say. Marriage, it could be a marriage situation where you just feel like, man, we've been to counseling. We've had the talks. We've done the books. We've done the groups. We've done it all, and we still feel stuck. Yeah, okay, 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 okay. All right, you can put your hand down. So, so today, this, this is for you. This is for those of you with a chronic ailment. This is for those of you who, who have a serious diagnosis. This is for those of you who just feel hopeless about a particular situation. This is for you. This particular story is for you. But more than that, our time at the end, we're, we're going to be praying for some folks. And we'll, this is for you. Our time of prayer is going to be for you. We're going to be praying for you. And if you're on our prayer team, be prepared to come down, please. But we want to pray for you. And here's what I know. As somebody who has had a chronic ailment um, for the last few years, and prior to that, I had a different chronic ailment for 25 years. Here's what I know. You are the most likely not to come down. 
if you've dealt with a chronic thing. Because you're like, I've been prayed over so many times. I've had the prayer. I've done this. I've tried the doctor. I, I, what, what's, the, what's the difference? What's this person going to do? What difference is their prayer going to make? Right? Those things can go through your head. If you've had a serious diagnosis recently, it could just be scary. And that could cause you to be a little emotionally paralyzed. Where you're like, I don't, I don't have the energy to get up out of my seat and go, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. And walk down and pray for somebody. Maybe they're a stranger. And it's just awkward. You know, you've been dealing with this, this burden for the last couple of weeks since you found out from the doctor. And so you might be less likely. And then if you're just dealing with a hopeless situation that you're just exhausted from, it's just like, yeah, you know, again, you're just like, what's this going to do? What's that person's prayer going to do? They're, they're not magic people down there. They can't fix this. So I'm going to be praying, and I'll pray right now, that for the gift of hope for you. In fact, the title for today is Jesus' Authority Over Hopelessness. We're going to be in Matthew 9, verses 18 to 26. And my, my, my prayer is that you're going to be given the gift of hope that Jesus can overcome that hopelessness and he can do something with that situation, whether it was a chronic ailment that you've gotten used to, a serious diagnosis, or just whatever situation feels hopeless right now. You feel stuck. So Lord Jesus, do that. Exercise today your authority over hopelessness. Show us today that what we read about in your word still applies today. Your power, your authority, you are the same yesterday, today, forever. That's what you say. God, I pray that you would flex your muscles today in our hearts, in our situations. Invade, 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 invade physical bodies, invade mental illness, invade relational conflict, invade broken marriages, invade. In your name, amen. Okay, so Matthew chapter 9. Here we go. This is actually two encounters in one story. One story, Jesus encounters two different people. Both have different reasons for being hopeless. One is a chronic ailment, the other is a serious diagnosis, so to speak. Um, this story shows up in the Gospel of Luke and the Gospel of Mark as well. In those two Gospels, there are more details given than Matthew gives. Matthew is a little more bottom line. Some speculate maybe it's because he's a tax collector, he's just d dealt with money, so he's just bottom line. You know, just no, no fluffy stuff. Um, so I'll be sharing some of the details that Luke and Mark give us in their accounts as we, as we go through this. So um, let's jump into it. Starting in verse 18, it says this. While he was saying this, so that's a story that we're, we will jump into um, in coming weeks. Uh, a synagogue leader came and knelt before him and said, My daughter has just died, but come and put your hand on her and she will live. And Jesus got up and went with him, and so did his uh, disciples. So uh, this is a synagogue ruler, a leader. He it was an administrator in the local synagogue, so he was probably respectable. He was a man who was looked up to, um, but he's now a man in need because his baby girl is sick. And dying, is, Luke and Mark tell us that while she was dying, she wasn't quite dead yet, that's when he went out looking for Jesus. He went out looking for this guy who's been doing these miracles. Um, but the, the, those accounts tell us that while Jesus was on his way with the man, uh, the servants came and said, Master, your daughter's dead. There's no sense bothering Jesus. 
Um, and this man, whose name is Jairus, um, uh, he has all reason to give up hope, but Jesus says, no, no, let's, let's, let's keep going. Um, so Matthew condenses that um, and, and just, you know, showcases that the, fact, that the fact that the man goes out looking for Jesus, and Jesus says, okay, let's go. He, let, let, let's, let's go back to your house, uh, even though she's dead. Um, so there's, there's a degree of faith in Jesus. Maybe it's not the same kind of faith that the centurion, if you were here a few weeks ago, the centurion came to Jesus and said, all you need to do is say the word and my servant will be healed. And this father believes if you come and you lay your hand on her, she'll be healed. So different aspects of faith or degrees of faith, it doesn't matter. Jesus is still like, let's, let's go. He doesn't condemn the man. He doesn't say, well, your faith isn't as strong as that centurion I met a few weeks ago, right? He doesn't do that. He's like, let's go. Let's go. Right? He's not, he's not judging us according to our um, uh, degree. Our faith isn't measured on a scale. Um, what's interesting is that, maybe some of you guys have experienced this, is that it, the man, again, this is Luke and Mark's gospel tell us that he went to look for Jesus before she was dead. Then he found out that she was dead. You ever have a situation where you, like when you go to Jesus, when you start praying for it, it seems like it got worse? Anybody have that? Yeah, 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 I've had that. You go to Jesus and all of a sudden it seems like it got worse. You're like, wait a second. I don't know if that's what I was supposed to happen, right? And that seems to happen a few times in Scripture, in Jesus' ministry. So this guy goes to Jesus while she's still dying, then finds out that the girl's dead. And it's like, wait. What? While he's bringing Jesus back to the home. It's like, wait a second. Really? That ever happened? Yeah. So one point to just bear in mind an observation that even though the situation got worse since the father went to Jesus, Jesus was still up to something, apparently. Jesus was still up to something. He still had a a plan in mind. It was an opportunity. Sometimes the situation getting worse is an opportunity for Jesus to flex his muscles in in a way that brings him glory that he would not receive if if he had done the smaller miracle. All right? Just just something to to think about. Um, Let's keep going. Verse 20. Just then a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. She said to herself, if only I touch his cloak, I will be healed. So a woman is in the crowd, and, and, and we don't know much about this woman other than that she's, she's a woman with a, with a blood flow, with this uh, hemorrhaging. Mark and Luke's gospel tells us that she was hemorrhaging for 12 years. For 12 years, she had this constant blood flow that nobody was able to figure out. What's interesting is that their gospel also tells us that the little girl who died was 12 years old. So as long as the little girl had been alive, this woman had been hemorrhaging. Mark's gospel tells us that she had gone from doctor to doctor and spent all she had on the doctors and nobody could make it better. In fact, it got worse, Mark's gospel tells us. So this woman, we don't know her name, she's identified according to her chronic ailment. Because sometimes that's a temptation. We, we, we identify ourselves according to our chronic ailment sometimes. And this woman was seen as a woman with an issue of blood, She's had for 12 long years. She spent everything she had. She was that woman. She she went to a doctor, went to another doctor. Then she had a friend that said, hey, hey, I got a doctor that was able to help me. Why don't you try him? Oh, I guess I got a little bit left. And then she traveled to this town. And then somebody says, well, I got a doctor. Why don't you try that guy over there? Oh, he's selling a new nutrition supplement. 
Or he's got a new product line. Or they're doing this experimental drug. Maybe you should be part of the trial. And she's done it all. And nothing's gotten better. Anybody ever been there? In fact, it got worse. It got worse after all this experimentation on her body, it says. The herbs, the whatever, the, whatever the, 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 the medicines were that were given to her, nothing has helped. And so she's got reason to be discouraged. She's got reason to feel hopeless. Like I alluded to earlier, I've, I, I've dealt with a stomach thing the last four years or, or so, and I've been kind of, you know, doing the circuit, you know, everybody's, everybody's got an idea of what it could be, but nobody could quite figure it out, no scans, no tests figure it out, and so, you know, we'll try this doctor, try that, and you know, you'd want to try it, um, but no, nothing's been able to help it so, so far. Prior to that, I had a, a respiratory thing uh, for 25 years, 25 years, so when I was 13, I was getting this chronic sinusitis, I had surgery, then the following year, I had to have another surgery, because the first surgery didn't, didn't work, um, and then the second surgery didn't work, and I was constantly missing school as a kid, you know, my friends would uh, you know, always kind of make fun of me, you're sick again, you're sick again, I started to have this shame about it, because I, I didn't I didn't want anybody to know. I would ask my mom to lie if, when they called the house looking for me. I'd say, tell them I'm grounded. Like, I literally say that. Tell them I'm, I don't want them to know I'm sick again. I'm kind of in bed again. And uh, um, uh, as I got older, um, I, I, I ended up going to a nutritionist who was able to help me. He realized that, man, you've been pumped full of antibiotics. That certainly didn't help your, your body. You know, back in the 90s, they were giving out antibiotics a, a lot more readily than, than they do now. Um, and so uh, I got off of them and changed my diet, and that helped. That certainly helped, but even into adulthood, it continued. This chronic, like, my glands would get swollen, sinus pressure, chronic fatigue, and I would go to these, I was sensitive to, like, foods and, and even, like, perfumes, everything kind of set me off. And so I would uh, continue to, to explore different doctors and be prayed over multiple times. And, um, and then you start to wrestle with, oh, like, maybe this is just it. Maybe this is just my life. Maybe this is something I just got to keep learning to be content with. And, um, and, and, and then um, a, a few years ago, it's four years, four or five years ago, um, I, like nothing else, I, I, I kind of said, okay, nothing's working. Every, everybody had constantly said, you know, you got to sleep more because your sleep is going to affect your health. And, I, and, and you know, how, how's your sleep? And I'm like, I've been a bad sleeper since I was a really little kid. And they're like, well, you better sleep better. And so I got it in my head like, man, I got to sleep better to get healthy, and anybody who's not a good sleeper knows that when you're told that you better sleep better, it doesn't help you sleep better, right? Gives you more anxiety about going to sleep. So finally, I was talking to somebody, and they were like, you know, you know, sleep, don't let that be an idol, or don't let that be the thing that you count on for your health. And, and it kind of struck a chord with me. And one night after a bad night's sleep, I remember walking around my block. I was kind of just doing my normal prayer time, and I was like, yeah, Lord, I don't need sleep to be better. Doctors haven't been able to help. I'm not being reckless. I'm not, I'm not like, you know, eating Twinkies for lunch and then just waiting on you to heal me. I'm, I'm doing what I can do, but nothing's working. No doctor's been able to fix this. I'm trying to sleep. I'm not a good sleeper. All of it isn't working. So, Lord, you, I'm recognizing you don't need any of that to heal me. You don't need any of that to heal me. And that moment, I remember just feeling like this release, like, that's it. It's, in, it's all in your hands because I've tried everything. I've done what I could do to be faithful. It's all in your hands. And I felt this release. It was, it was like a desperation mixed with this, just a, a release. I don't remember if it was the next day, the next week, two weeks later, but all these symptoms were gone. 
Like I, I had been diagnosed with Epstein-Barr and Lyme disease and all these things that, that, that were plaguing my system. All of those things were like gone. And they didn't come back. In four years, those symptoms that I dealt with for 25 years didn't come back. Yeah, you can clap for that. That's, that's not me. That's clearly not me. That's God flexing his muscles in my life. I gave a testimony here four years ago. I was, there was a few people on video, and I was one of them. Um, and it, it, like, literally, what was once a weakness, like, I would cr- constantly come down with respiratory stuff, I don't get anymore. Like, even when I had COVID, it didn't affect my respiratory system. It was like God just saying, hey, this thing that I, I, I did, I really did heal this, this area of your body. Um, but around the same time, ironically, I got hit with this chronic stomach thing. And you can call it a spiritual attack. You can call it a result of all the antibiotic use. I don't, you know, maybe both, probably both. Um, but um, I, now I'm kind of dealing with that. But I, I, so even on the discouraging days, I remember, wait a second, that other one took 25 years, but God, you, you healed that. I'd like this to be sooner than 25 years. But so this, I understand this woman feeling for 12 years, like, geez, this thing ain't getting better. Geez, I've tried it all. But this woman's situation was worse because her blood flow made her unclean. Her hemorrhaging made her unclean. According to the law of Moses, she couldn't be part of the covenant community, the, the, the social fabric of, of Israelite life anymore. When a woman had her time of the month, she had to stay away from everybody, and then temporarily, right? But for 12 years, if it continued, she's cut off. She's ostracized. She's excluded. So even if there are days when she could physically suck it up, right? If you deal with a chronic thing, there's days where you're like, you know what, I'm just going to suck it up. I'm going to go to my nephew's birthday party, whatever it is. She couldn't do that because they'd be like, yo, you can't be here. You're going to make us unclean. So she was dealing with physical, emotional, social consequences of this ailment. And yet, and yet, despite all the reasons to feel discouraged, despite all the reasons she had to feel hopeless, And just to kind of resign herself to thinking, this is my lot in life. She hears about Jesus passing through. She sees a crowd following him to this dead girl's house. And she thinks, if only I can get to him and touch the hem of his garment, I'll be healed. Only I could touch him. Where did she get that faith? After all that hopelessness, we don't know. But she believes, if I could just touch the hem of his garment... Now, why the hem of his garment? Possibly because she was being respectful and didn't, if she touched him, she could make him unclean, and she didn't want to do that. That could affect him going into the, uh, you know, the next guy's house. Possibly it was because she was afraid of being condemned if he knew she was there. Maybe her plan was just to sneak up, touch it without him knowing, scoot out. Because if he turned around, if she went to him like everybody else has been going to him, can you heal me? He, he, he might. Being a rabbi, knowing the law of Moses, he might be like, you know you're not supposed to be in this crowd. You're making all of us unclean. So maybe she was afraid of being condemned. So I would imagine she's kind of incognito. Maybe she's got a hood up. She's kind of going, I could just get the hem of his garment. Nobody has to know. I'll touch it. I'll turn around and I'll leave. The hem of the garment, uh, for a Jewish man, it would, it would be different than a garment for a Gentile. The, the, the garments had tassels at the edge, end of them, four tassels at the corner of these garments that would kind of drag along the ground. And it would separate them out from Gentile garments. Um, and these tassels, 
uh, don't have time to get into the, 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 the wovenness, the fabric of them, but how they were woven together, they represented the law of Moses, represented the 613 commands in the law of Moses. And so um, whether she was thinking this or not, maybe she was, maybe she was thinking, if I could touch those tassels, it represents the righteousness of God. This man is obeying the law of Moses. I could just touch that. Maybe she had in mind the promise from Malachi that said the Messiah would come with healing in his wings. And that kind of represented the wings of the Messiah, if I could touch that. We don't know for sure. But whatever it was, that hem, that edge of his garment, those tassels were a point of contact for her faith. If I could just touch that. Some have have, uh, speculated that maybe there was a little superstition in her faith. And maybe so. Nobody's faith is perfect, right? But she just thought, that's a point of contact. He can heal me, and all I need to do is touch that part of his robe. And so she just said, I'm going for it. I'm going for it. I'm going to push through. I'm going to take the risk. And it was risky. It was risky for her to, to push through a crowd, as physically draining as it was, as emotionally draining as it was, as risky as it was. They could turn on her. They could start criticizing her. They could snicker about her. They could start. Either way, she believed it was worth the risk. Her faith led to action. And that action was risky. Our faith in Jesus leads to action, and that action is often risky. We risk something. We risk something so often when we live by faith. So at this point in the story, we've seen two people come to Jesus with a need. Two people who have reason to feel hopeless. A man whose daughter has died. Right? The ultimate Bad diagnosis, death. We don't know how, we don't know what the virus was, we don't know, she died. And then there's a woman with a chronic ailment that nobody's been able to fix. And they both have come to Jesus. Two different people, good reason to feel hopeless, but they both take action. They both come seeking help from him. They both believe That somehow, in the midst of this hopelessness, Jesus can do something that nobody else has been able to do. Now, how does Jesus respond? What's Jesus' response to this? Let's, Let's look at the rest. Verse 22. Jesus turned and saw her. Take heart, daughter, he said. Your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed at that moment. Take heart, daughter. Daughter. Daughter is a... Word that would symbolize her restoration into the community of faith once again. She had been ostracized. She has felt like an outcast. And now that word daughter being said by a rabbi, being said by maybe he's the Messiah, that means I'm part of this again. Take heart, daughter. Your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed at that moment. She stopped bleeding Again, Luke and Mark's gospel accounts give us a little bit more details. And what they tell us is that Jesus didn't see the woman. She touched his garment, and he felt power go out. And he turned around, and he said, who, who touched me? And his disciples are like, what do you mean, who touched you? There's, there's a crowd here. Everybody touched you. What are you talking about? And she's like, no, somebody touched me in a different way where my power went out. They received this power from me. And, 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 and that just shows that there's a difference between a lot of people touching Jesus and one person touching Jesus. 
right? There's, there's a difference. You can uh, be in the presence of God and not experience the presence of God because your heart's not there to receive it by faith. Your heart's not there to receive who he is uh, as Savior, healer, sanctifier. Your heart can be hardened. Your heart can be distracted. This woman was not. She was ready to receive, and Jesus turned and said to her that your faith has healed you. Now, what does that mean, your faith has healed you? That your faith is where the power comes from? It's not what he's saying. Lest we have faith in faith, unless we constantly evaluate, well, how's my faith today? Well, my faith is feeling pretty weak today. Yesterday was pretty strong, right? It's up and down. It's not what Jesus is, is, is getting at. He, he, he's saying that her faith is what connected her to the power source. In my house, we are often looking for one of these. Anybody else? These things are always going missing. You guys ever, you ever we, get, we got, um, my wife has two phones, I got a phone, our oldest has a phone, and so we're always looking for one of these. There's, uh, you know, constantly things need to be charged. Like, who took this out of the room? Sometimes I'll tie it around the bedpost so that like, nobody can get it out. Um, and it still goes, goes missing. So we're often looking. Now this, if you plug this into a phone, it doesn't charge your phone. It has to be plugged into an outlet, Right? The outlet is where the power comes from. If I hold my phone up to the outlet, it doesn't just get charged. Maybe one day that will happen. Um, but right now, you can't just hold it up to the outlet. You need this device to plug from your phone into the outlet in order for the phone to receive the power. And that's what Jesus is saying. Your faith is the phone cord charger. Your, your faith is what connected. You had the faith to take action and grab hold, and just like plugging in a phone to the outlet. The outlet's where you get the power from. But the cord allows you to connect, and her faith allowed her to connect to Jesus. Her faith, in other words, led to her receiving something that she would not have received if she didn't take action and go grabbing Jesus' garment. Which is interesting, because I would imagine a, a Jewish woman, she has prayed to God to be healed of this thing. Many times in the last 12 years. And she has not yet been healed. But grabbing hold of Jesus, Jesus coming through, Jesus being the embodiment of the kingdom of God on earth. And she goes, I'm going to touch that garment, and I'm going to receive this healing. And she did. Now, I want to make another point here. I want to be careful how I say this. I'll just state it, and then I'll explain it. Um, I, I think that this story shows us that medical failures, limitations by doctors, can serve to create a desperation in us that will bring us to Jesus. That is not a knock on doctors, nutritionists, supplements, any, any of those things. Um, in fact, for our sake, I'm glad this woman spent all she had on doctors. Because now we know, Luke and Mark told us that, because now we know that God did something that nobody else could do, lest anybody say, oh, she would have gotten better anyway. Oh, it was just allergies. Right? No, we know that nobody else could figure it out. And, 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 and sometimes God does heal through doctors and medicine, and sometimes God heals through surgeries, but there's limitations to those things. Mistakes are sometimes made. There's a process of science where in the 90s you're giving out antibiotics a lot, and then now they're like, well, let's slow down on that. Right? Things change over time. And so the limitations are not reasons to be angry and, and raise our fists. It's reasons to go, okay, God is setting me up for a big miracle here. If the doctor gives me a bad, bad diagnosis or bad prognosis or bad report, I'm not going to be mad at the doctor. He's doing his job. She's doing her job. 
Doctor says I got only a little bit of time or I got a 5% chance to live. I'm not going to say, oh, doctor's stupid. They don't know what they're talking about. They don't know my God. No, no, no. Hey, thank you, doctor, for giving me the negative report. So now when God does what God's going to do, it's an opportunity for him to be shown to be who he is, bigger over those negative reports than otherwise we wouldn't have known if we hadn't gone through these, these medical limitations. Am I making sense? So I praise God when we get a, a negative report. Okay, God's setting us up for something good here. He can do something that nobody else has been able to do. So this woman, gone through all these doctors, she gets to Jesus. Jesus says her faith has healed her. And for the record, Mark put that down so we would know that Jesus did something that no doctor has been able to do. She would not have gotten better on her own. Nobody's been able to do that. Nobody can say, well, yeah, but the doctor could have done that same thing or whatever. No, Jesus could do what nobody else was able to do. Let's keep going. Verse 23. When Jesus entered the synagogue leader's house and saw the noisy crowd and people playing pipes, he said, go away. The girl's not dead but asleep. So those playing pipes would have been the, um, the noisy crowd. That would have uh, professional mourners. They would bring in professional mourners to play pipes and to moan and to groan. Um, uh, indicates that the girl was definitely dead. Um, so Jesus says, go away. The girl's not dead but asleep. But they laughed at him. They laughed at him. What's this guy talking about? After the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took the girl by the hand, and she got up. News of this spread throughout all that region. So why did Jesus put them out? Um, you know, it's interesting. He praised the woman's faith, right, that, that, that led her to Jesus. Um, and then here's a dead girl who has no faith at all because she's dead, right? There's, there's no faith, and yet she's raised up. Kind of, you know, so on, on one hand, faith was a huge factor, and right here in this room, um, it's, not, it's not the factor. Jesus raises dead girl up. There's a lack of faith. Um, but I think he put those other people out because there's a difference between having a lack of faith and, and, and being filled with unbelief. Like they were scoffers, they were mockers, they were, their heart's not there to receive, to see what Jesus could do, to receive who he was. And so I think he, he put them out, get them out. And then he raises this girl up. Now, it, uh, Mark, Mark or Luke tell us that the parents were allowed in, and, and Peter, James, and John were allowed in. Um, and so he, he raises this girl up. She's alive. News spreads throughout the whole region. Everybody's talking about the man who has authority to bring a dead girl back to life and to stop the bleeding of a woman who'd been hemorrhaging for 12 years. The news spreads about a man who was able to bring authority over hopeless situations. And they're talking about it. And it, and, 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 and it, 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 it reminds us that when all hope is gone, again, it's an opportunity for Jesus to, to hit a grand slam home run. Right? So those moments, those situations, when doctors can't fix it and counselors can't fix it, and you've had one meeting and two meetings and three meetings, and, and it's still not fixing the situation, it's an opportunity. Instead of going, man, God, I thought you were going to fix it after one. I thought you were going to fix it after two. I thought you were going to fix it after this one. Well, guess what? God might just be setting it up so that he could do something that no counselor gets credit for, no pastor gets credit for, no doctor gets credit for, no nurse gets no friend gets credit for. And only he does something, brings a breakthrough. So in a sense, praise God for those scary, hopeless situations. So I want to ask, before we 
turn over to uh, a testimony, a video testimony. What action might you be needing to take? What, what, what does it look like for you to reach out and grab the hem of Jesus' garment? With the chronic ailment that I've been having lately, I, I, I was asking this question for the last six months when I r- read this story about six months ago. I wrote it down in my journal. What does this look like for me? What does this look like for you with the situation you've got now? What, 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 what might God be leading you to do? To, it might be a physical, to physically take action, do something. It might just start, whatever, whatever it ends up looking like, it might start with being prayed over by, by our prayer team, who are not magical, who have their own issues, right? But it's, 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 we provide these, these moments in our services because it's a way for us, it's a point of contact. Sometimes we have people write something on a card and bring it down and drop it in a basket by the cross. What is that? There's no magic to that, but it's just a, a step because we're physical beings. And sometimes when we do something physical, right, it's us putting our faith in action. I, I'm going I'm to believe that this sin is paid for. I'm going to put it at the cross. It's a step. And it's a reminder, it does something to our souls when our bodies engage. I'm going to get out of my seat, and I'm going to say, excuse me, and excuse me, and I'm going to come down and be prayed over, and yeah, people are going to be able to see me, and it might be embarrassing, but faith in action is risky, right? And, and, and then it might mean something else down the line, moving, moving forward this next week. Maybe, maybe at the end of service, you need to ask God, ask, ask somebody to pray for, for somebody who's not here, a family member who's not here, who's suffering and sick, at home, like the girl's father did. So let's, let's watch this testimony from Cindy Dornacker, and then I'll call the band up and, and the prayer team up. So the summer of 2006, um, I had some free, you know, I, obviously I'm not working in the summer. I had just left and resigned working for the school system and um, was planning on doing some private work uh, for the future. That was my plan. And I also was thinking I had some extra time that I thought it would be fun to uh, train for a marathon because I had done marathons previously to this time. And um, it takes time, so I was like, okay, let's get, let's get some training going. So I run on Saturdays and um, get shooting pain in my right thigh. Um, I kind of just attributed it at the time to some injury of some kind, like, I don't know, a strain or something. But it was becoming a little bit of a nuisance to me. Um, It was interrupting my running. I was feeling it when I was running. Then I started to feel a lump develop. By mid-November, because I was having the discomfort, I opted not to do a marathon. I didn't, I couldn't, I didn't sense, I I wasn't able to do longer than what I was doing at that point runs. I wasn't going to get myself up to 20 or more miles. I happened to go away on a retreat weekend, um, and while on the weekend, that Saturday, mid-November, there was a spontaneous request for prayer for healing, and the pastor was Pastor Adolf. He, um, you know, he offered healing, you know, prayer for healing. The lump had grown a little bit, wasn't sure what that was. but just thought it was a muscle or like maybe a blood clot or something like that. Nothing that is real earth shattering about the prayer anointed me with oil and that was that. And from that day forward, I say this because from that day forward, um, I noted that the, the
the growth that I had there, the lump that I had, didn't grow any further. It stopped growing. So um, on this side of things, I truly identify that as the day I was healed. I believe that was the day I was healed. Um, manifestation took a different path, you know, but that was the day I was healed. I'm so quick to not go to doctors. And that's why it's relevant that I wasn't working because it gave me the time and I didn't have any excuses not to go. And uh, the orthopedic doctor that I was uh, seen by um, started saying all kinds of things to me like, well, you know, I'm not sure, let me x-ray it. He said, okay, well, these x-rays showed nothing, and then he requested that I have an MRI, and this was like on a Tuesday, and um, he got me into my MRI that week. He was going on vacation, like that Friday or Saturday. All of a sudden, the expedience of this became evident that there was something he was concerned about. So by that Friday, um, he had the results. He started to talk about what this could be, and... Um, I almost passed out, I literally almost passed out. I, I just did not, it caught me off guard. We went for the biopsy on the 21st. He saw immediately by the nature of the cells and whatnot that it was um, probably not, it was, a, it was a serious cancer, fast growing cancer, um, more than likely. Shared that with Danny um, while I was still recovering after the biopsy. Um, Danny was pretty shaken up, not expecting anything like that. He was alone, and um, he came in, he had to tell me. And I, I, I remember him walking in, and just, I just knew. I knew as he walked in, he was just um, really, he could just see it. He was, he, and I said, it's not good, huh? And he goes, no, it's cancer. but. My immediate reaction was, no worries. That's it, I'm a survivor. I, I said it, and it's like, so it's the, the thing I refer to, it is just to say, put the, put the survivor on my back right now because I'm surviving this. At that time, it was, it was just a response. Jump forward a little bit, because it's Christmas season, right? And we get a call the 26th of December, and she started talking about um, getting in right away that we're gonna have to do PET scans. And um, she started talking about an oncologist and chemotherapy treatment. And I was like, wait, wait, wait a minute. That's nothing of what the doctor had said. He kind of just told us when I had gone in before that biopsy that probably it was just gonna be surgery. You know, like that would be what would be expected, but this wasn't the kind of cancer that they were thinking in the beginning. So this was synovial sarcoma, and it's a rare cancer, and it's fast growing, and it's um, metastasizing, and it's not good. And I quickly, as I shouldn't have done, but as everybody does do, um, I went to the computer, and because I didn't know anything, I, I knew nothing, and uh, and I looked it up. The survival rate was low, like you weren't like. I don't know, it was like less than 50% or something. I forget, I don't know the number exactly, but it was bad. It was really bad. And it's like, if you live past five years, it was like, if I live past five years, like, I want, I want to see my children get married. I want to see my grandchildren. 
this can't, no, I'm like, this, I, I just thought, I was like, no, this can't happen, no. When we got the diagnosis, and of course, um, so going back to December 26th, and then the days that follow, um, was very uh, hard, sleepless kind of days, you know, like, don't know what to do, not like beyond anything I'd ever kind of gone through before, ever. And contemplating, like, God, I know, I know you love me. I know you love me. What the heck is going on? I, I have, again, that I'm vivid, sitting in my bedroom. I, have it, I had a place for a table and chair, and I'd sit and do some Bible reading or whatever, and I'm like, God, you love me. My mother, Praise God, always, always, just always reinforced that. So I knew I was loved, and this made no sense to me. And um, January 2nd came up, and this is the utmost first highest, and he went out not knowing whether he went. And this is from Hebrews 11:8. Uh, God does not tell you what he is going to do. He reveals to you who he is. Do you believe in a miracle-working God? And will you go out and surrender to him until you are not surprised in Adam at anything he does? So I went, I went, he reveals who he is. And I'm sitting there and I'm going, I thought I knew who you were, but I mustn't know who you are. And I just went, Lord, who are you? And in a split second, Split second, a song instantly came into my head that I hadn't heard. Probably, I don't even know when I had heard it last. It could have been like five or ten years before that. I'm the God that healeth thee. I'm the Lord your healer. And um, that was a word from God. And I was like, <gasps> I ran downstairs, got on the computer, got the song up, printed out all the words to it, looked it up on the... In the, you know, in the Bible, marked it, sang it, sang it, sang it, constantly sang it, sang it, sang it. And so the scriptures come from, and I'll, I'll just share real quick, in Exodus 15, and the song uses these scriptures, I'm the Lord that heals you. And then the other part of the song, the lyrics, comes from Psalms 107, 20. He sent his word and he healed them. So for me, that became it. It was like God told me he is my healer and he's going to heal me. Now, I'm, that was miraculous to me, that word from God. And that held me in place for those moments that um, I wasn't seeing things right away. And it was scary. And I was going through all the things I was going through. And I was just a, the, the, the wear and tear and the sickness of the, the treatment. It turns out that the person who prayed over me also worked in a cancer center in Sloan Kettering, actually. So I consulted with him, and he referred me to Philadelphia. I was just told, or it was like, well, like a you know national, world-renowned doctor that I wound up being placed with, and it came out of that that person. The faith that I had in God through medicine probably would be that that was what I felt led to. I mean, I think that. The knowledge that I understand about people who choose not to go medicine and, and not do doctors, honestly, and I respect that, and maybe in the future, God, I hope that doesn't ever happen to me again, but if I felt the faith for that, and that's what was on my heart, and that's what I had peace with, then I would be, I think that 
that's what you have to trust. You have to know what you have faith for. In the early part of like my first, after my first round of chemotherapy, um, it was a lot harder than we expected. Um, there was a lot more involved in it than we expected. And I was really, really sick the first, the first round. And, uh, and I remember one night in the very beginning um, feeling, um, just feeling real separated from God, forsaken almost. That wasn't a truth, but that was an experience that I had of um, just a dark night. It was a dark night and uh, it felt very empty and scary, very scary and very alone. And I, I know I can't relate to what, um, at all. I wouldn't, it's disrespectful to say, think that I would, but how Jesus, that's what came to my mind. I'm like, wow, the, Jesus in the garden, when he was um, being forsaken by God, I was like, that must have been so awful. It's kind of how I felt that night. Um, truth is, that's, that wasn't the truth, but that's how I felt that night. After that, um, I was cautious again not to, uh, to keep hope. Shortly after this, I was invited to lead a, a, a women's group, and they, I had to come up with um, a scripture base, the, the base of what the scripture was going to be. And the moment I was asked to do this, hope just settled on me. I was like, it has to have hope. And I'm like, well, I really like love, but okay, hope, good, hope is good. And what that did was it, I, was, I spent hours going through the Bible, and I had the time to do it, all the different scriptures on hope exactly what I needed. I needed hope. I feel like these are all God things. Like God put this into place. God, I wasn't working, so I went to, to the doctor because I wouldn't typically. God ha had me be prayed over. I believe I needed that prayer over me. The healing came. The right doctors were put into place. The word of God was put into place for me. At that, that same time, Casting Crowns came out with the song, Praise You in the Storm. I praised him and, and it, it was so incredible to be going through something so horrific and to praise God in a way I'd never even experienced before. God's grace is amazing. Um, leaning in and just leaning into it and just being in a, a cocoon of grace, a cocoon of love. I'm glad that I'm having an opportunity to share it again because it was a very close time with me, with God and Danny. Danny took such good care of me, and I had to be um, humble, and I was subjective, sub like submissive to, and in his arms, so to speak. And the tenderness that we experienced changed our marriage. It was such so tender, very tender time, and I'm grateful for it. I would never sign up for it, but I certainly at this point would never trade it, you know? Can I call the band up and our prayer team? Dan and Cindy will be down here available for prayer.